Hello, and welcome to Back Issue Spotlight on the Comic Book Page Podcast. My name is John Mayer. In this episode, we'll be having a spoiler-filled discussion about an older comic book storyline. In this back issue spotlight, I'm joined by James, and we're going to be discussing some more of Multiversity. We're going to be covering the Pax Americana one-shot, the Thunderworld Adventures one-shot, and the guidebook. James, how you doing tonight? I'm doing well. How are you doing, John? I am doing pretty good. Now, I don't think I read these things since they came out in, what, 2015 for this stuff? I think this was beginning of 2015. And I never read them, so this is all new to me. Okay, I think we're going to have an interesting discussion on some of this then. Yeah. What did you think of Pax Americana? It was interesting to say the least. This is, I'm assuming, the Watchmen type world or the Watchmen world. This is set on Earth 4. Earth 4. Earth 4 was introduced in Crisis on Infinite Earth, the original Earth 4, I should say, as the home of the Charlton characters. Yeah. As you pointed out, they're best known to some readers as the basis for the Watchmen characters. Yeah, and I I think I remember there's a, a Peacemaker, a, a TV show or movie yes, or something. TV show. He was in Suicide Squad also. Yeah, okay. And I'm like, okay, I'm watching them on this world, and they're kind of like pigeonholed over there. I'm like, how did they get this guy over to the Suicide Squad? I, it's just, it, it's very interesting. This felt very gritty, and it felt good and realistic at the at the beginning. Did this start off with the Kennedy assassination or some what kind of thing? Essentially, it wasn't literally Kennedy, but uh, it was the same type of thing. Exactly the same sort of thing. Okay, and, and then when you get the 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 scene right after the assassination of that guy sitting there, that looks like the Punisher to me. <laughs> well, it's funny because I mean, the Peacemaker, as he's been portrayed in, in recent decades and stuff, definitely has some similarities uh, yeah. to the Punisher. It's this is the guy who get peace through war. Yeah. And uh, first off, I did not like how the story opened on not just an assassination, but then rewinding. And we're seeing kind of the the assassination being kind of undone as the bullet goes back up to who shot it. Exactly. Yeah. Just reverse play on everything. And, and nice and gruesome for you, too. Yeah. Yeah. I squeamish didn't care for that. What did you think uh, a couple of pages in where we get kind of the walk and talk scene with Nightshade and her father. I read this like three days ago. I'm trying to remember if there's anything. I didn't mind it. It was cool. I'm trying to remember if there's anything specific that they said, but you get kind of like a view of the whole like complex through that. Well, go to the page where they've got the, the presidential seal that they're walking on. Okay, I'm going to go there. All right, okay, I'm it's there. a couple of pages in. Rightmost panel on that page as they're walking up the stairs, the, uh-huh. the, the dialogue is... Try to take the elevated view. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Next thing, as they're turning a corner, we've turned a corner. Yeah. Yeah, now I remember. <laughs> then at the end of the page, one door closes. Start of the next page, another opens as they're going through doors. Yeah, that was kind of on the nose. <laughs> and then as they get to the end of that top row of panels, we've got one panel that goes down to the second row, and we got to take steps to prevent the decline. Everything goes yeah. into reverse as they're now going right to left. Yeah, he was trying to be very clever in there. I remember that now that I'm seeing it. And I don't think he pulled it off because it was it read a little bit weird. But at the same time, I liked the world. I thought the world was was interesting, but the 
attempts at cleverness. And I mean, the story flowed well, but it went quietly on the art. And these two yeah. were also the team, I think, on All-Star Superman, where they did similar walk-and-talk kind of, of things. Yeah, Frank Quietly's awesome. Yeah, they're, they're masters at the craft, but there's a lack of, of subtlety on some of this. Yeah, I remember I read that like three days, and I was just like, what? why are they doing this? What's the point of that? And I was just like, okay, he's trying to be smart. <laughs> but it, it comes off as a little bit awkward. Yeah. And for me, what I enjoyed about the original Earth 4 was that was the introduction of those characters of Blue Beetle, Question, Nightshade, Peacemaker, Captain Atom, and such into the DC universe or or multiverse. It was technically a multiverse at the time, but quickly became a a universe. And we got kind of an original cut of them and then quickly a revamped cut post-crisis. That's most of my exposure to the charlton characters yeah i've got a few issues sporadic of their earlier stuff but like when we're going through that area where they've got all the costumes i guess of the cold soldiers they're calling them yeah i don't know who most of those things belong to there's there's a jester hat which i'm pretty sure is for punch of punch and julie but that was a bad guy so maybe not now am i supposed to be taking it as these these are the charlton characters before the watchmen or the Watchmen preceded this, and that's what I don't know. Okay. Because you get, like, the little, with the guy Manhattan, the Captain Atom little symbol, mm-hmm. I'm like, is this, like, an ancestor? Like, what is going on here? It's, like, the same type of character. It's weird. Well, what happened was, Charlton was a, a comics line back in, I want to say, the 60s. Okay. And they had a bunch of, you know, action heroes and such like that, and they were did some interesting stuff. I think Ditko worked on Blue Beetle and The Question and whatnot, so they had some some decent creators, Dick Giordano being one of them. I mentioned him specifically because he later became editor-in-chief at DC, which was around the time they acquired these characters, which was, again, around the time of Crisis. Now, when Watchmen came about, Alan Moore had this great idea of, let's tell this dystopic, epic story using those characters. And Dick Giordano and the other hires-up quickly realized, great story, but man, that's going to, you know, effectively destroy those characters. Oh, so they kind of created similar characters. Let's do a repaint, create new characters, give give Alan Moore a little more leeway, whatever, and go with that. Uh, that makes sense because it felt so Watchmen-esque, but I'm like, these are not the Watchmen characters. And so now that makes sense how they did that. Because I, I was reading it and I'm like, so is this guy going to become Dr. Manhattan? Like, or is this like, and, uh, oh, is this guy Rorschach? The, you know, the question. Well, and to a degree, this cap, or the Captain Adam became Dr. Manhattan to a degree, who then became this Captain Adam. So bizarre. Because <laughs> one of the things, because not only did they do this one shot, they yeah. did a director's cut of it. Oh, okay. And in that director's cut, there's a little bit of a preamble by, by Morrison saying that he was trying to, quote, take up the challenge of Watchmen's intricate, showy narrative tricks. And it's like, yeah, you were trying to show how clever you were, and uh, to a degree you were clever, but it was also not to the service of the story in my mind. Yeah, I would agree with you there. I mean, he was clever in it. It's a cool world. The art was fantastic. But yeah, it was weird. It was like a brief dusting of these characters, and then Move along, move along. And, and, and yeah, you could tell when Morrison was trying to be smarter than the reader or show off his intelligence. And to me, that you can come off as arrogant at times when you do stuff like that, or I'm better or smarter than you, and I want to 
almost like the bodybuilder in the gym who's flexing in the mirror looking at himself, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah, and, yeah. And nobody likes that guy. <laughs> well, and there are times where it runs to the detriment of the characters. Like yeah. when we've got Blue Beetle in his bug, and I do not like the, the look of this bug. Okay. And he's going up against the, the question, and the question's, you're in over your head. Yeah. Well, above the bug, there's this giant crane coming down. And then we get a line of, get a grip, as the thing's gotten a grip on the bug. And I'm like, okay. Literally, Beetle was told to look above you, you idiot, and he didn't. You know, it's just, you know, some of this is being clever is good, telling a good story is really what you're there for. Yeah. And while I, again, Frank Quietly on the art knocked it out of the park, I yes. think Morrison, this fell into the bad Morrison category for me. I would agree with you there. I was reading this world, and I feel like, and I know this sounds weird, I feel like this is a world for me, you know, that that more at times. It, it's got that darker tone, the realism, you know, the almost like that brutal daredevil Batman street level. Oh, yeah. It's much more of a street level universe aside from Captain Adam. Instead of, yeah, like Superman flying around. And, and so I like that type of stuff when it's done well, and this is right up my alley. But at the same time, I'm like, okay, you're doing all your little clever tricks in there. Now you're talking down to me. And not really. I don't, I don't even think he meant it that way, but that's how it comes off. And, and, and so then that just kind of, eh, all right, just a little irks and irritations. What did you think of the double-page splash when the question is kind of examining, I guess, the crime scene? I'm trying to remember that page. Let me see if I can flip to it real quick. It's bouncing between him being there and then the previous of what had happened that he's investigating. That didn't bother me at all. Did you not like that? I hated it. It didn't work You for hated me. it? Okay. <laughs> well, you've got two pages with four by four grids. It, it is hard to follow. A little bit hard to follow. It's like, okay, I hit that fourth panel in the page gutter. Do I keep going to the right? Do I go down to the next? I can't tell. We're cutting between two of the same scene at different points in time. Yeah, that got me a little bit too, because I didn't know where to follow. I didn't know if I went back to the left. And I followed it along because I looked right below it and I saw that statue split. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, okay, maybe I have to read this all across here. That's what guided me. But it it was a little bit weird. I don't know why they did it that way. Again, to show how how clever they were. They're clever, yeah. (laughs) And again, when that starts to be a, a recurring theme of a story, really turns me off. Yeah, I, I know exactly what you mean. So, and, and I've seen that with other writers. The last time I read something that reminds me of someone trying to be really clever and smart like this was, remember we read, read The Ice Cream Man? I think that's what it was oh, called. Yeah, exactly. This reminded me a lot of that. You can read the comic for front to back or back to front. And I guess not every issue is like that. Where, But I'm like, okay, you're... Your intellect, I, I nod to you, and I go and read something that's actually enjoyable. <laughs> yeah, there was a gimmick issue to this because, again, we start at one scene, and then we're kind of moving forward in the scene, but then yeah. when we cut, sometimes we're moving forward, sometimes we're moving back, sometimes we're doing both. It was difficult to follow. It was difficult to follow, and that was a bit confusing. It, I saw what they're doing, and I was like, okay, I see the going forward and backward in time. But why they laid it out like that, I agree with you. I don't know why they did that other than to be smarter than us. Yeah. And it again, like I said, it turned me off. It felt like, I guess part of it with, with Watchmen itself, and I see the inclination for somebody to say, I'm doing these characters. Let me riff on the most famous version of them, which is the Watchmen, not the version of them. Yeah. But you've got 
Brian Bolin on art, Alan Moore on writing, in what is widely regarded to be one of, like, the classics of comics. Because it was brilliantly done, and it wasn't really trying to show how clever it was. No, it was just done terrifically and giving you a grittier look at those characters. Yeah, whereas this, I didn't feel like it was telling a good story or doing something that was new and inventive. It was all almost trying to ape the style of, and getting lost between, is this the original Charlton characters? Is this the Watchmen? Is it somewhere in between? That's where I was confused, I, and, I, and I figured you would know. I didn't know. Am I? Are these like pre-Watchmen? Is that <laughs> what's going on? But the world itself, I was excited for because I like this world, but I didn't like the tricks. I, I felt like, okay, we're being cute here, but I like the world itself. I like the idea of the world. I don't like the execution of this. Understandable. I mean, if we were to go back to Earth 4, see these characters and that kind of stuff, yeah, it'd be cool. Do I want it to be all of this with the the obsession with the eight and the infinity and and all of this trickery with the, the storytelling style? No, not at all. Yeah, yeah. And I didn't see anything here that really exemplified a deep love and understanding and knowledge of the characters. Not that I'm anyone to really judge on some of that. There was a line or two about, oh, what do we call ourselves the Sentinels, or we are the law. Yeah. The Sentinels is Sentinels of Justice was a name I think they went by ever so briefly back at, at either Charlton or where the characters later showed up, maybe at AC Comics. And then The Law, Living Assault Weapons, was a miniseries for them in DC around the turn of the century. And it's like, yeah, it doesn't really count, because, I mean, we see this Blue Beetle at this point, which is it the same one that we see in The Bug? Is this the Dan Garrett versus the Ted Cord? The fact there are two, you know, they never really get to here. So no, I, no, that makes sense, yeah. I, I felt they glossed over a lot of these characters. Yeah. It was quick. It, it read very quick, even though it's an oversized issue, 40 pages. But I felt like we just got a, a, a taste for the world and the characters, and then boom, we're out. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I would say that this one was definitely more on the miss side, but I feel like I want to read the book from here. <laughs> the sto- And I'm not saying necessarily you know him, Grant Morrison, writing the book, but I wouldn't mind reading a good story from this world. Watchmen is one of them, but I mean... Again, you know, in the future. But I, will we revisit it? I don't know. I would love to read a good story in this world, because I haven't yet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I think the characters have a lot of potential. I think there's a lot they could do with them. And I would almost go with a more faithful version of them from the original comics and what DC done with them later than a more Watchmen-esque take like they did here. Yeah, and, and I also think this world has to be done with Almost in miniseries, I don't think this is something you'd want long running. And the only reason why I say is it's so dark. It's almost a cynical world. You know, superheroes are dead and everything's dark and ominous. Well, it's not a superhero world. It's a mystery man world. A mystery. Yeah. And because of that, it's almost like you don't have that shining, you know, beacon on the hill. It's who's going to come up from the rubble and and save us at all. Yeah. And I think to your point, doing miniseries is the much better approach with this because you have shorter arcs, smaller arcs, and a more personal struggle for the characters. There may be this uber big bad or huge threat that'll take multiple arcs to get through and they know it, but again, they're chipping away at it because that's the best they can do. Exactly. That's what I think too. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Again, the world has a lot of potential, but this for me, least favorite of the bunch so far. 
And I can understand that. As soon as I saw the picture with the guy's jaw coming off, I was like, ah, John's not going to like that. <laughs> yeah, that turned me off to begin with. And then the other stuff on top of it. <laughs> and, it and the I'm smarter than you storytelling style Just, never rubs me the right way. That makes complete sense. Now, shall we move on to Thunderworld Adventures? This is our, I guess you could say, they weren't Charlton. What were they? These were, well, I was going to say these were the Fawcett characters. Fawcett, that's what really, it was, yeah. Really, these are just the Shazam characters. Yeah, all the Shazam characters, and we get some other characters, which, do they exist outside this comic? This alternative to the Shazams? The, which ones? The Savannas? <laughs> the Savannas, yeah. Okay, how familiar are you with the Shazam Captain Marvel mythos? Not very. I mean, I've read I read a miniseries of Shazam a while back. Okay. I can't remember for the life of me what it was called, where they visited the world, and it was, I think it was Frank was on the art. Gary Frank was on the art, I believe. But it, it was a good read, but I don't know very much about him. I just know he was the alternative to Superman over at the Fawcett comics, and they lost in court to DC. Well, <laughs> DC you could argue took- Superman was the alternative to Captain Marvel over at DC. That's true. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> he was outselling him, hence the lawsuit of, hey, they're both big, strong guys in costumes with capes. Yeah. It must be copyright infringement or some such. I forget exactly what they sued over, but they essentially won. Yeah, and I remember the Gomer Pyle show where, where he used to always yell, Shazam! <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's from this, because again, the yeah. character was crazy popular. Now, Savannah is essentially the Lex Luthor of that world. Okay, all right. That, Evil that scientist, etc. The other three are his kids. Okay. And I love how early on he's got this... Because we start at the Rock of Eternity, and we get this this bigger, almost Borg-looking version of it, and, and Savannah's like, yes, I've devised an alternative scientific explanation which enables me to duplicate Captain Marvel's magic powers. Yeah. Love to get that explanation, but, you know, he's got it. The kids say his name, Savannah, and poof, they've got powers. Oh, and he's created Savannah Day. He's added an extra day to the week. Yeah, that was so bizarre. I was like, all right, we're just rolling with this. It was hilarious, yeah. And then they had those time crystal things that they were doing in there, too. I was like, okay, this is for young readers, I guess, because we're just making stuff up in here. All ages. All ages, exactly. (laughs) But it's definitely a lot more freewheeling. Sam and I had done two of the three Shazam hardcovers from the 70s series. Yeah, I remember. I listened to it. I, I never read them, but I listened to it. We still got the third one to do at some point, which I think goes into the backup, or not the backup, the anthology feature the character had in Adventure Comics, World's Finest, and I forget if it went somewhere else. But here, we're going with a modern take on what the character would be like, because when Billy Batson is, is doing his broadcast, he's clearly got a cell phone, a headset, a radio backpack kind of thing. Granted, yeah. today, you know, it'd be smaller, but it's still very high tech. Yeah, very different. <laughs> and it's a different outfit than he would historically have worn, but it's got the right color scheme, etc. And I enjoyed this because it was a fun story. It hit a lot of the kinds of things I expect out of a classic Shazam story. Nice, bright colors, good action-adventure, all-ages-appropriate, some zaniness, absolutely. Yeah. But it was fun, it was wholesome, the heroes are heroes, the villains are villains. Yeah, it, it was kind of interesting that this is the same writer who wrote the last book, because it felt so different. Yeah. The artist, of, of course, is a different artist here, but it was it was a fun read. It reads very all-ages, like 
I feel like a 12-year-old would enjoy this book as well as a 40-year-old. Mm-hmm. And I like the new Savannah characters. I, I, I kind of like them, you know. I like that they made the one guy stronger than Shazam. I can't remember their names for the life of me. But Shazam was like, you're like a stampeding bull. You may be stronger than me, but I've been doing this longer. I can outsmart you. Yeah. Kind of wallops them. <laughs> it was just, it was kind of cool. You see all the all the other characters come in. I can't remember what their names are. Mary something. Mary Marvel and Captain Marvel Jr. Yeah. It, it was kind of cool to see all of them. It, it's a fun world. Now, I did notice we brought in the Monster Society. Is that what it was? Yes. Okay. Now, I read them in a miniseries by Steve Orlando, which I did not enjoy because it was Steve Orlando. But are they permanently in this world? The Monster Society is definitely a hallmark of the Captain Marvel franchise and such. One of the big classic stories of the day they've they've tried to reprint a few times and got cold feet and didn't is Shazam versus the, the Monster Society of Evil. There was also a version of it done by Jeff Smith, who did Bone. Okay, why would they get cold feet on reprinting it? That doesn't make any sense. Well, DC basically started publishing Captain Marvel in the 70s. Okay. okay? This is from earlier material, like, say, uh, the 40s, uh, when depiction of certain you know, ethnicities and social situations and whatnot, markedly different than today. Yeah, I, I can understand that because I saw some World War II comics from back in the day. And yeah, the stuff they do with Japanese soldiers is not very flattering and, and, and kind of offensive. Yeah, so that makes sense. Yeah. Well, I mean, you could even look at some of the early Fantastic Four issues over at Marvel. And yeah. the way Sue is portrayed makes her seem like a complete idiot. Yeah, hey, woman. <laughs> Cultural norms change over time, hopefully normally for the better. Well, they really do. Like, people have to adjust, and it's hard to adjust. Like, we grew up in an era where uh, there were certain things, and now things have changed today that we didn't have to deal with back then. Well, and even on a more mundane level, the concept of influencers and things like that, somebody wanting to be a YouTuber and such, obviously when we were kids, that thought would never have occurred to anybody because media was in the hands of the corporate elite. It, exactly. I mean, the, the, the closest we came to that was being a popular kid or not a popular kid in high school. Mm-hmm. But na- now kids can have a million followers. <laughs> I mean, but- it, it was one thing for Billy Batson back in the day to be a radio announcer or some such. Yeah. Now, here, they're pay- playing him both as that, but the equivalent of a, a, a modern-day, not really an influencer, again, still straight-up journalist kind of a thing, but it does put a different spin on it if they were to have taken this to a series. Now, I do have a question for you. Sure. Okay. Now, DC, having put this, or classified this as Earth-5, I think it is, mm-hmm. where we have these characters, and we have Shazam movies, uh, will they ever incorporate Shazam into the main... DCU movie side because they don't they really do keep the comics somewhat separate. You know, every now and then you'll see them pop up, but the, not for very long. Well, I mean, what they're doing with these worlds is they're setting up alternate Earths where the certain characters are the features. Okay, okay. Captain Marvel, Shazam, and Mary Marvel and stuff exist on the main DC universe. Okay, okay, we've got the whole Shazam family over there. We just had the new Champions yeah. of Shazam series, and we don't have the Lieutenant Marvels, but we've got kind of the other foster siblings and such. And that really is an artifact out of a Jeff Johns's Flashpoint series. Okay, cool. But what they're doing here is it's like, okay, what if we didn't have Superman, Batman, and the rest of them, and these were the premier heroes and such? 
this is what Earth would look like. And actually, it looks much nicer. <laughs> it is. It's a it's a more wholesome world. It's one where, if it goes back to, again, what I was reading in the 70s series, would have a lot more super science, magic, and literally an anything-can-happen kind of a thing. But what you've got evil people, generally speaking, everybody's nicer. I mean, it's not like these evil people are going to go horrifically eviscerate people and such. You wouldn't see, like, the assassination we saw in Pax Americana on this world. No, it's more like the twirling the uh, the twirling mustache. Twirling the mustache, exactly. Yeah. yeah. The guy's going to tie you up to the train tracks, and the Lone Ranger comes and saves you. <laughs> yeah. Now, what I found interesting is Earth-5 here is definitely based on the old Earth-S pre-crisis, which was the home of the Shazam family and the Fawcett characters. Okay. There's no sign here of any of the other Fawcett characters Bulletman, Spy Smasher, and those sorts of things. And I wasn't sure if that was by design, they didn't have room for it, or, or what. Yeah, that I don't know. I, I can't answer, but I don't know why they left that out. Do you, do you have a guess? I think they wanted to just have this be the Shazam family and stick with that, keep it focused. Yeah, it, I mean, you only have 40 pages, so they definitely kept it tight. But again, I'm curious, why not have the rest? Yeah, because they did bring in the Monster Society, so they could have had an appearance, you know, just even in the background. Oh, even if you didn't want to put them on Earth-5, put them on some other Earth. Yeah, they're just gone. I mean, we've got some of them in various forms on the main Earth, specifically Bullet Girl, at one point was a member of the Seven Soldiers of Victory. Or a version of the Seven Soldiers of Victory, not the version, because to me that harkens back to the original. I mean, I enjoyed seeing the Lieutenant Marvels here and Uncle Marvel. I wasn't quite sure why they needed jetpacks and ray guns. Yeah, that I don't know. <laughs> but that was kind of interesting. And there were two or three places where there may have been Easter eggs, but if so, the reference was completely lost on me. Oh, where is that? We've got one place where Captain Marvel is seeking help going to the Rock of Eternity, so he goes through the subway entrance for his origin. Okay. Yeah? It's at the corner of Phillips Street and First Avenue. Because First... Is that First Comics? But it was never through First Comics. It has no relation to First Comics. Yeah, so... I don't know that... of any Phillips that's connected to this. So why that corner? Why why have the, the street la the street sign there to begin with? Yeah, who it knows? It implies an Easter egg that was lost on me. And then when Savannah's son is about to, to pummel Billy... He's got this car, and the license plate is CT8450. Okay. And I'm like, you got a license plate there. Does it have any meaning? Cap CT Captain Thunder, maybe, who might have shown up in 1984, but I don't think there was a 50 reference to that. So maybe there's no connection. Maybe there is. I don't know. That Yeah, I, I have no clue. Or was it just completely random? Who knows? It could be, but it didn't feel like it was. If there's something there, and... Maybe that director's cut has something on it. Who knows? Well, the director's cut was only for the Pax Americana one. Oh, they didn't have it for this. Okay. No, and it didn't even go through to that level of detail on some of the stuff I would have liked, like who are those cold soldiers and such. Ah, okay. I mean, there was there was a lot of things I was hoping for that I didn't get on, on that. Yeah, but I'll tell you what, this was a fun read. This is the lightest of, I think, most of the worlds. Other than when we get to the guidebook, I feel like there's a world that could be a little bit lighter than this, maybe. Potentially. <laughs> uh, I, I enjoyed this. I thought it was a ton of fun. I thought the League of Savannahs was fun, particularly the one who, the Nobel Peace Prize winning scientist with personal problems, realizing that all of his counterparts are, are totally evil. Yeah. 
It's like, oh, yeah, you're not in good shape there. Good company there. This is a world I would like to revisit at some point. Exactly. This seems more like when I read this, I was like, this is your world, whereas I'm more the other world, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is funny, but I can enjoy both. But yeah, I, I'm that darker, bloodier. Ugh, there's something wrong with me, John. Not judging much. I know. <laughs> I, to me, this is just fun. I think there's a time and a it place is. for an all ages superhero thing where there's a much clearer sense of right and wrong. And, you know, I like this. I like the 70s era version of the characters. I'll admit, I'm not as much of a fan of the Jeff Johns take with the Foster siblings and the yeah, almost the Power Ranger version of uh, a Marvel of every color. Is that Jeff Johns? He was the one who wrote it not that long ago, right? Well, he revamped them all during the New 52 stuff, starting in a backup feature in Justice League, and then it eventually got its own series. Okay, so he revamped it, and then when I read another miniseries on them, I don't know who wrote it for the life of me. That's what it was. They were like foster kids and all yeah. that stuff. So I thought that's just how it was. No, no. Originally, it was just uh, Billy, and then they introduced Mary and Freddy, those being kind of the classic Marvels. All right, all right. And that makes it, sense. It's interesting here, they went with the white costume for Mary versus, originally she was in the orange or the red. Oh, okay. But right. I, I like the bright primary colors and just the design of the costumes. It was fun. It, it pops a little more. It does. It does. So this, to me, was, was a ton of fun. Yeah, it was a good book. I miss the other Fawcett characters, but they didn't need to be here. Yeah, I, fun read. Now, the guidebook is a bit of a different thing in terms of it's got a story, but it's also got a guidebook on the, the 52 worlds. Yes. What did you think of the story part of this? The story was kind of weird. <laughs> Fair enough. Because you, you get these almost like, I guess it's Earth 42, if I'm remembering. And you get these almost like childlike versions of the characters. And they're so cutesy and adorable. And the way they behave and talk, you're like, oh, this this is something to have fun with. Like, this is the world that I said seems like it could be, if they wanted to, almost lighter than the previous one. Mm-hmm. But they took it very dark because they kind of, you know, kill some characters and revamp them. Are they zombies? Like, what is going on here? <laughs> well, we start with the Hannibal Lecter Savannah from the previous issue. Yeah. Know, literally toasting him with a flamethrower. It was so horrible. Yeah, you start off with this bloody thing. I was like, wow, this is kind of gruesome. And then you just have this, these, the cutest little things. Who's, Savannah, Savannah what are you doing bullying these little cute characters? Yeah. It was kind of sad. These are kind of chibi versions that are from the I guess the Little Gotham series, among others? Yeah, I've never read that, but I heard of it. And it just seems like it could, it could be something for kids, you know? It's just yeah. read, like they're really fun, but they made it really brutal. Well, those characters are kind of the DC equivalent of the X-Babies over at, at Marvel from the yeah. Universe. Yeah, the little kids. And I, I, I'm never a big fan of those, you know? Yeah. The, I'm sure some people are, but it's not my cup of tea. <laughs> But I mean, it read good other than it was so weird how brutal they took those characters. But I, I kind of enjoyed it a little bit more when we went more toward Commandy later on. I thought that was interesting. I thought even getting a, a shot of the Marvels in here. Yeah. Because really, so far, everything else has been standalone. This makes sense to have a connected story part of it. That was fun. And then when we get the chibi Batman looking at the page of Commandy and stuff, and then we flip the page and we get the Earth 51 two-page spread. I thought that was kind of cool. That was really cool. It made it feel like 
well, what he's been, you know, kind of harping on, I'm reading this in this world, the little, like you said, the chibi Batman reading it, it's actually a guide to what's happening on this other earth. And it, mm-hmm. there it is. It's the scene the kid's looking at. It was super cool. And then you just get introduced to world after world. And then it starts wrapping it all together with when you get to the flash portion. I thought that was awesome. Yeah. I, I did think bringing in the new gods prior to that was kind of interesting. Yeah. I didn't care for Biomac versus just Omac, but yeah, whatever. But we get quite a bit of exposition in this. Yeah, and th- these are the characters, honestly, I'm very, very, very light on. I've seen them and read a little bit, but I don't know a lot about them. That's understandable, because some of them are a bit more obscure in the modern age. Yeah. When we get to the, and so begins all things with a flash, and then we start getting Barry Allen's origin, we get the Flash of Two Worlds reference, a reference to the first JLA-JSA team-up. Of course, we get Crisis on Infinite Earths in there. Yep. A Zero Hour. Infinite Crisis, 52. I mean, they cover quite a bit of ground, not in any detail, of course, but just setting all of this up in that Earth-33, this is where all the comics that that record all this are from, which that is kind of the post-52 version of what had been Earth-Prime pre-Crisis, which didn't have any heroes. It was essentially the real world, our world, if you will, other than... It had eventually Ultra, which was a hero, and then Superboy during Crisis, and Superboy Prime caused all kinds of problems, but Earth Prime is why he's called Superboy Prime. But that world originated in Flash 179, where Barry basically encounters Julie Schwartz, having gotten bumped to that Earth, needing to get home. Yeah. Which is a bit of a tangent and stuff, but again, pulling that in, Y33, I guess it had to have some number. Yeah, exactly. And then you get through that, and they go to that the guide, the 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 map of the entire thing that Grant Morrison has done, which we saw kind of being wiped out and then recreated in Flashpoint when we revisited it. We saw some of that. We saw mention of it on Death Metal. Yep, yep. And here it is. And it's an interesting chart and graph. This is, I guess, what they're basing everything in the movies around, this type of stuff. Maybe, maybe not. We'll find out. Yeah, we shall see. <laughs> now, when we get to the various Earths and stuff, yeah, I found the icons they used for a couple of the Earths to be interesting. Okay. If you look at the Earth Zero one, it's got the outer circle with four stars. Yes. And the stars are in the position of where they would be for the classic DC logo of the 80s. Okay, cool. And there was one or two other worlds that had that, and I'm like, why? Why did they? <laughs> and I think this is one of those where Morrison had ideas, had plans that have never come to fruition. Okay. And this Earth Zeros, when they call it New Earth, for some reason, I, I get, this is our Earth, correct? This is the main Earth that came out of Crisis and had been revamped ever since, leading into That's what I thought. the New 52 version. That's what I figured. So this is where we are. Well, this is where the stories are. The we could also be misinterpreted as the you and I. Oh, which would yeah. be Earth 33. Yes, correct. This is where I'm reading. <laughs> yes, yes. Earth zero. And, and then you get the, like, you go through all them, and some of the Earths have a lot more, I don't know, they're full-page splashes. Some of them get half pages, and some are left blank. And I guess for future storytellers to create their own little things? There were a couple that were, were left as unknown, and if, again, that felt like Morrison had a grand plan for that that never happened. Yeah, so it's just, they're empty. There's like seven Earths that are, we don't know what they are. (laughs) 
Yeah, and they created by an inner chamber of seven monitor magi for a mysterious purpose yet to be revealed. <laughs> and I don't think they're going to be revealed because in the Big Bang special from Dark Crisis on Infinite Earths, yeah. those numbers are used for things like the Jurassic League yeah, or Tom Strong or the DC bombshells, that kind of stuff. Correct. They housed them in those places. So, yeah, they've been taken up. And I was honestly surprised that Jurassic League got one, but it makes sense. It was It's like a five-issue miniseries. But you gotta set it somewhere. Yeah, I figured they'd just say, this is a kid's story, here you go. <laughs> well, again, catalog it. What number it gets kind of doesn't matter to a large degree. There are a few of these that the numbers were specifically chosen. Yeah. The Earth 2 to be reminiscent of the pre-crisis Earth 2, Earth 3 for the pre-crisis Earth 3 of this crime syndicate. Earth 4, again, for the, the Charlton characters. Again, that's the world they'd been on before. And actually, Earth 3 is playing a critical part in the current Superman stories. It, yes, because, it's going to. Yes. Yeah, I'm sorry. Spoiler. <laughs> well, it's going to be for the, I thought, the adventures of, of John. John Kent. Yes. Yeah. I, I know we haven't talked about it yet in the ba- in the monthly spotlight, but yeah, I, I noticed that. I got there. It's like, oh, that's where he came from. I like the crime syndicate. I think it'd be fun to see the different incarnations of them duke it out. Yeah. Because at one point, the crime syndicate was based in the antimatter universe. Yeah, exactly. And then we've got a few others that the numbers they get are because they had letters before and the numbers are close enough. Earth S became Earth 5. Earth X became Earth 10. Yeah. I like Earth 10 a lot, too. That's a favorite of mine. I like the original version because it was just the Freedom Fighters and you didn't have... You could argue if these are Justice League or Justice Society counterparts. Yeah. When I say it's my favorite, not because the Nazis won or anything, but I like World War II stuff. So they always harken back to World War II, and I used to love the World War II comics, so that's why I like it. <laughs> you should read some of the older Freedom Fighter stuff, because it was much more based on the World War II stuff. Yeah, I would love it, because I, I think it was Jeff Parker did a little Freedom Fighter miniseries, and I thought it was just fantastic. There was a series they did in the 70s that I thought was some fun stuff. Yeah, so that's right up my alley, too. So I get there at 10, and I always get giddy. Oh, here we are. <laughs> I'll admit, I was disappointed with 7 and 8 that are both the Marvel Rifts. Yeah, yeah. I noticed that. I was reading them. I was like, they're supposed to be Marvel Rifts, especially eight. You know, you get it and you talk about the teams. But the characters don't really look that much like them. Well, you got to be different enough not to get sued. That's true. Yeah. But eight's another one where it's got the circle with the stars. And I'm like, why? Yeah, why are they? they yeah, that doesn't make any sense. But we also get some of the better known worlds of Earth 6 of Just Imagine, Earth 8 for Tangent. Some of the others start to get a bit more esoteric, Yeah, being based on either gender reversal or Batman Beyond, or just some supernatural characters, or worlds that were used in various Elseworld stories over the years. Yeah, there, there's stuff in here that reference to, I imagine, for people who've been reading for a long time, but I don't think I'll be seeing or hearing about it very often at all. No, no. Some of these, if you want to go explore this world, Go pick up the Elseworld they were in or the miniseries that originated the world. Pretty much, because, yeah, this, this stuff is, you never see. Well, like Earth 37 is from the Batman Thrill Killers miniseries they did back in the day. 38 is the Superman Batman Generations world. Yep. A few of the others, I don't know, have ever really been published. Yeah, so, so there's worlds, but you've never seen them. Like 39, which is Agents of Wonder, which is like a mashup of the DC Universe and the Thunder Agents. 
Oh, and I, I, and I didn't know that, but they've never been published. As far as Maybe. I know, yeah. <laughs> That's hilarious. I wonder if they're going to use it someday. Who knows? They set these up and do nothing with it, and then if you're going to do that, why do some of them which are clearly based on your competitors? Yeah, that doesn't make any sense. Having one for Image and one for Marvel, maybe, because if you're doing, hey, there are all these other comics being published out there, it allows you to, to reference at least the big dogs. But two for Marvel didn't make sense, and then another one or two that are, again, another riff on the main DC universe. I'm like, why? Yeah, a bit confusing. So these are not necessarily the ones I would have picked, and it felt like with 42, the, the chibi characters. Yeah. I assume there's more coming for that in what we're going to read next time, because if it's not there, I don't know that we ever get payoff on it. Yeah, I was just so sad to see them used in such a way, because they look like they're meant to be the cute characters, and then they were just so brutally treated, you know? It's like, oh, poor little guys. (laughs) Yeah. And then Earth-43, is that where the DC Vampires is? Yeah, that's... Because uh, I read that DC... Is it versus vampires? Well, there's Batman Dracula Red Rain that I think originated all that stuff. And then there's a Blood League that they're referencing here. Okay, so the DC versus vampires, I think they stuck it in another Earth. They may have, I don't know. I think that was in that Mark Wade thing where he put it in the back. And I don't remember which Earth he put it on, but there's a number for it. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and there were a couple like Earth 36, which was the Justice 9, which is just a repaint of the Justice League. I'm like, why? Yeah, why do we need that? And, and uh, do you ever see those characters? We did see some of them in, it might have been in the first multiversity issue. Beyond that, no, not really. Yeah, as I say, you never see them in modern comics. Most of these characters, you'll never, they're just not there. Well, yeah, again, some of them were, let's put some popular Elseworld on a world and, and go from there. But I was not impressed by this lineup when it was first kind of, introduced in the pages at the end of issue 52 of 52. Yeah. But again, I really liked the original multiverse pre-crisis, and some of these are just carbon copies and pale imitations thereof. Yeah. No, that, that makes sense. I mean, the one that I think some people are big Commandy fans, so that last one is the Commandy world, but there's a lot of other characters in there. You know, the New Gods. The New Gods, I think we're seeing over all of the universes, not just that one. Correct. But the Commandy one is also just kind of the great disaster, hence getting OMAC or Biomac, as they're calling him here, and a few things like that. And I'm looking forward to reading that because I picked up an omnibus of Commandy, and I still have not cracked it open. It's in my stack. I did think it was interesting. They put a few of the other great disaster characters on... Which Earth was that? That was earlier in the, the list. Earth 17. Or they've got characters that are kind of the science characters... Oh, yeah, yeah, the science ones. Atomic Knights, Adam Strange, Challengers of the Unknown, Martian Manhunter, but not the classic version of them, just modern incarnations. Yeah, they're very different. (laughs) It's basically, what if there was a a post-apocalyptic thing, and here's who we've got. Yeah, the Atomic Knights of Justice. So, I mean, some of this was interesting, some of it, you know, getting Captain Carrot and the zoo crew back was nice. Why Earth-26? No idea. I don't know that I would have gone with that number for that world. But I was also disappointed not to get Earth, because that was Earth-C back in the day. Oh, Earth-C. All right. I don't know what number would be most evocative of C, but 26, not so much. I would have liked to have had next to it Earth-C-, minus, which was the just a lot of animals. <laughs> but, you know, can't have everything. Hey, it might be one of those seven unknown worlds with the Magi, blah, blah, blah. 
<laughs> it could be, but I mean, they spent one Earth 48 or whatever on the Forerunners. Yeah. And the royal family of which Lady Quark was from the Blink and You Miss It Earth 6 during Crisis on Infinite Earths. I can't call that a pre-crisis world because technically it wasn't, just like Earth 4 wasn't, but you know, whatever. But I'll tell you what, overall this was decent. How much it's going to be referenced, I don't know, but it's like kind of like you said, the shelves. Here's the slots on the shelves and here's where I put them. And then Mark Wade picked up probably right where he did this and filled in some of the blanks. Yeah, yeah. I think most of what gets picked up from is really not from here, but from Multiversity 1, where we got the Hall of Heroes and all of that stuff, because that's the basis of Justice League Incarnate. Yeah, and I do think they like the idea of that map, because whenever they're talking about this stuff, they, they always reference the map that Morrison had. He didn't draw it, I'm assuming, but that was in this issue. He designed it, and I'm sure they had a graphic designer actually do the drawing stuff. But Yeah, it doesn't look like someone sketched it by hand. I'm sure he laid it out. Yeah. What gets me is, as far as a map goes, it's not like it feels like certain worlds are necessarily that much closer to others or whatever, because you look at one and two, and they're pretty far apart on the map. But that's where a lot of the travel tended to happen. Actually, they're not that far apart. There's just 34 in between. Well, actually, it'd be zero and two that had most of it, because they renumbered everything in Crisis or post-Crisis or in 52. They've made a mess of the, the thing. They really have. When I looked at that, I'm like, okay, this is from an outsider. Let, let's say you want to get a new reader in, a new reader into DC. Uh, first of all, don't ever have them read this. <laughs> yeah. But to have that, it just seems like such a barrier to entry, you know? And I understand the meaning behind it, and I understand how cool it is. But to get someone to think, oh, well, there's multiple universes and multiple 52s, and now we have the infinite. It's just like, it's almost overwhelming the amount of stuff going on. And you're like, I got it. And people feel like, I have to know this. It, it does feel like almost a barrier to entry at points. It's not, it's not very easy to just step into this world. Well, it, this is not meant for that. No, no, no. Th this is for the hardcore DC reader who's been reading and acknowledging things were messed up. We're trying to fix it, I think. I'm not even sure it's for the hardcore reader because it, <laughs> it runs counter to some of the old stuff. And I, I think they're just trying to put a semblance of order around what they've got. Yeah. And if they had come out of Crisis with this sort of a game plan, that could have been a lot of fun. But they didn't. And the the damage they've done ever since is... It just compounds. Yeah, every time they try to fix it, it becomes worse. And to me, all of this was a tease of, we could tell you all these fun stories in these other worlds, but we won't. Yeah, because we've read some of these things. I'm like, oh, this would be cool, but I feel like I'll never see it again. Yeah, And so it, it was a cool experience, and all right, and now file that away as not to be revisited. <laughs> but it's so weird that the guy who's heading up the DC cinematic universe, James Gunn, that he's referencing this as one of his guides. And I'm like, this, to me, wouldn't be a guide to go by. I wish them well for the, the DC cinematic stuff, but when out of the gate you're doing Creature Commandos, Amanda Waller, and some other reasonably obscure characters. That's weird. <laughs> weird is a charitable word. I think it's a mistake. It may be fun, it may be great, but that's not how you build up a solid competitor to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I would agree. I think there's some timing going on there with the waning of interest because there was some burnout. Even Marvel's pulled back a little bit. But then if you're going to come at it with these really obscure things, people are just going to scratch their head. You know, look at this. What? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because most of, the, most of the moviegoers 
are not comic readers. You and I both know that. So they're not going to get it and they're not going to appreciate it. No, but if you do a mix of iconic characters, Shazam, Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, Flash, those types, along with some solid second tier characters, Firestorm would be a good example. Something you can do a fun movie with. Yeah, you can even have the Green Lantern show up, you know? That would be cool. <laughs> that one's a little harder given, you know, how, how poorly received the first Green Lantern movie was. It was really bad. <laughs> I, I thought it was enjoyable, just not great. Yeah. But I think there are a lot of other characters that you could tell some fun stories with. Yeah. But DC has a habit of setting our expectations and then failing to meet them. Yeah. Unfortunate. So, I mean, I thought this was a, a fun read. I appreciated that we got, you know, who's on what worlds and stuff, but ultimately it doesn't matter because we never really see them. Yeah. And then we get the, those little chibis coming back as zombies. That's so sad at the very end. <laughs> yeah, that was building to something, and it's been long enough since I've read this. I have no idea what. I was like, why are we turning this into a zombie world? What is going on? <laughs> it was just really dark. Yeah. I'm curious if that follows into the Mastermen or Ultra Comics. Or if we've got to wait for the Multiversity Issue 2 with Justice Incarnate to really get the payoff on that. Yeah. But I think you're going to like Mastermen, because that's set on Earth-10. I am not sure how much I'm going to like Ultra Comics. And again, I read it back in the day, and I just don't remember. But that, again, has been getting the metatextual aspect or reference in every issue since, or since we started, that I'm hesitant on it. Yeah. But, you know, again, where I think some of it's going to leave off with Justice League Incarnate appearance at the end leads into, eventually, years and years and years later, the Justice League Incarnate miniseries we got that led into uh, some of the Dark Crisis, Flashpoint Beyond, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah. Well, I am looking forward to the Earth-10. I'm still, I would say, somewhat enjoying Multiversity, even though it's not great. It's, it's, it's okay. It's, it, it's good for what it is. Yeah, I like some of the worlds more than others. Some of them are, eh, some of them are, are decent reads. It, it's just, it feels like an exercise, and I hate to say this, but futility—not futility—but it seems like wasted resources if they're not going to use this stuff later on or ever revisit it. You know, why do we go through this exercise? Well, some of it is to reestablish what had gone before. Okay, and I, 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 that I appreciate because a lot of these worlds were were getting again the Shazam characters and stuff like that. I, I think it was worth reestablishing that there is its own world and, and there's some stories you could tell there that you can't tell on the main Earth. Yeah. But the fact that they barely ever get off the main Earth, or when they do, it's for something like Jurassic League, or I mean, some of the other stuff like Injustice Gods Among Us. Ton of fun. So I'm, yeah. I'm okay with them doing that. And I think having the ability to go do that is opens a lot of doors, allows for a lot of stories you can't tell otherwise. But to me, the power of continuity is having a world where things are consistent and you can build up a history, both so you can play off it there and you can counterbalance it and do Funhouse Mirror versions of it elsewhere. And also having the ability to have other worlds that are clean slates until somebody gets there. Yeah. So that's the power of an infinite multiverse. Yeah, very true. I, I would like to see some more stuff in these, but I understand. We got to make the main DCU the centerpiece. Because if, if we have 10 books that are happening in different worlds, that's going to be, I wouldn't say off-putting, but it's going to be discombobulated and people and confusing at times. You know, I'm reading this Earth. I don't want to read the main DC Earth. I'd rather read Earth 10. And so I'm just staying over here in this little pocket. Well, Marvel had the ultimate line for a while. DC had that's true. 
hey, it's coming back. <laughs> DC had the Earth 2 books. It wasn't branded separately, and that in and of itself was confusing for some people. But yeah, again, when you've got that side border and you could just highlight what Earth it's on, it's something that if you know to look for it, you know to look for it. If you don't, you don't. But it's it's at least there, and I thought that was a good idea. So a second read-through after so long, so far, we're only two-thirds of the way through. You Are you liking it or just okay? I'm liking it. I'm not loving it. But part of it is comparison to what's gone before. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, I look through that list of 52 Earths, and there's only a handful that it's like, wow, I really wish they would do a title or more or a miniseries even on some of these. You know, because some of them, it's like, if I want to read about them, I don't trust the current creators or I don't think they've got a good enough game plan. I'll go read what spawned the world to begin with. No, that makes complete sense. So I'm, I understand where you're coming from. I mean, we're eight years later and there's no sign of them doing anything with Agents of Wonder or going back to the Batman, Superman, Generations world or really exploring the Justice Nine or, or any of that. Yeah. And with the creative teams that they have currently, now we don't know things could happen and there could be new writers coming back. You know. There's certain ones that you're like, okay, I trust that writer, I trust that writer, I trust that writer. But there's, there's, it seems like there's, and th- this is not just exclusive to DC, it, it, Marvel too. There's, there seems like there's been a lot of talent that's left the industry over the years, and it hasn't been replaced with like quality. That's what how I feel. I would agree with that, but I'm biased on that. Yeah, <laughs> I'd be hard pressed to name many current creators more on the writing side. There are a couple of artists that are certainly, I think, top notch. But I, I think there are fewer writers that, in my mind, hold their own against the likes of classic ones. And there are some that are still working. Mark Wade's a good example. Kurt Busick's a good example. But those two, or a Marv Wolfman, or a Roy Thomas, or they're, you know, they're some gone. of those. Yeah, it, it seems like those that quality of writer, other than the two you mentioned who are still writing, they, they've just disappeared. And I feel like they haven't been replaced. That, that talent's been lost. I don't know that they've disappeared so much as been priced out of the game. That, yeah, that's a better way of putting it. Priced out of the game. And they've moved on to movies or script writing or television writing or whatever. Who knows what they're doing? Or in some cases, simply retired because they're at the age where they deserve to. Yeah, they're retired. They wrote a novels like Alan Moore. Well, I hope Marv Wolfman's making enough money off Titans and all of the other brilliant stuff he's done for DC and Marvel over the years that hopefully he's not having to worry about money. Yeah, I would hope so, too. I'm pretty sure, given how well George Perez did that and how closely those two worked over the years so yeah but i didn't see a spark of wow some of these things are brilliant you know that i'm just chomping at the bit if they were to solicit a comic series on each of these worlds i don't know how many i'd actually get what was funny is the first time last time we recorded i i messaged you before we recorded the first part to this multiversity Mm -hmm. thing and i said spoiler alert i'm loving this (laughs) because it was fun just reading about these worlds oh cool where can i get more of this and then to find out and, and to realize you're not going to get more of this, necessarily. I'm like, okay, it's... Well, you're going to get more, it's just not going to be new. Yeah, exactly. So it's just like, it's a little bit disappointing, you know? Yeah, really. If you want to follow up on Pax Americana, you might as well just read Watchmen. <laughs> exactly. Read Watchmen, and, and that's a brilliant book. It's great. But yeah, I don't I don't think we'll read the next Watchmen or something of that ilk. There's, It's not coming. <laughs> and if you go pick up the Blue Beetle series, or the Captain Adams series, or the Question series, or the law. You're not going to get what you want if you're looking for Pax Americana. Exactly. Yep. Now, Thunderworld, I think there's plenty of things that are stylistically similar for the Captain Marvel to go have. And then the guidebook was its own kind of unique thing. So 
as far as a sampling of multiversity, this was not the best representative three issues. Yeah, I agree. So hopefully we'll do better, but uh, next time I'll, I'll admit though, like I said, I'm skeptical on. I don't recall enjoying Ultra Comics, Masterman. I preferred the classic Earth X, and I don't remember what all happens in Multiversity Number Two. So we'll come back next time and find out. We'll see. <laughs> Anything else? No, that does it. Cool. Recording clips for the preview Spotlight episodes is easy, and we've got an open submission policy for these episodes. Please send in clips to support the comics you love as often as you can. If you'd like to get email reminders for the preview Spotlight episodes, you can join the emailing list on the main page of the comicbookpage.com website. The deadline is typically the second Saturday of the month at 9 a.m. Check the main page of the website for more information and the exact deadline for the next preview spotlight. The show notes and forum for this podcast can be found at www.comicbookpage.com under the podcast and forum sections of the website. Please email us at theguys at comicbookpage.com and let us know what you think of what was discussed in this episode. Thanks for listening.